Well, God's good, isn't he? Thank you, team. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I'm so glad again all of you are here. To our first time guests, we're so glad, honored you're here. We know you could have been anywhere, but you showed up with us. And I hope and pray that you, as Pastor Val, I love what he says, that you are touched in so many different ways you can't help but want to come back and be a part of us. And we're starting something fresh this month that I believe the Lord has put in our heart. And uh, I want to start a series. Y'all know how I am. I never kind of intend. I just, God gives me a word, but I know it's going to expand. And, and we're going to be talking in this month of February, since it's Valentine's Day, whatever that means. I just know the card company gets rich off of us and the, and the, and the chocolate factory and all that. And we really don't have a clue where that holiday really come from. It's got some, I, as I tried to look it up, some historical things that said these are possibilities, but nothing was conclusive. But we've bought into it that it's the love month, so we might as well just take advantage of it, all right? And, uh, and roll with it. But I want you to go with me to the book of 1 John chapter 4. I'm going to do a series that I'm entitling Love and Relationships. Now, I want to put a, a disclaimer or whatever. I don't know if that's the right word right off the start. For all of us in this room, this is not just a message about marriage. It's about relationships on every level. It is about our families. But how many knows life is about relationships? You have relationships at work. You have relationships in your neighborhood. You got them in your family, your church, our sports leagues, whatever we do. Everything we do really in life revolves around some measure of a relationship. And we're going to talk about the true love of God and, and relationships. I believe it is so very important that's why we're going to do this. And I believe that's why through our life groups that we are, are, are calling you because I believe it's important that we know how to do life together, especially as the time or the coming of the Lord is at hand. I, I told somebody the other day, I, I, I saw some fresh, I, I'd never read it before or had, and just it just, you know, goes by. Uh, most of us would say we're in the end times. I think we would all agree that, that we are in the last days. But there's a passage of scripture that says not only are we in the last days, we're in the last hour. And if we're in the last hour, then we better know how to encourage, how to strengthen, how to walk, how to stand, how to be victorious. I'm really discovering a whole lot more. How many people come to church and worship, throw our hands up, and after we leave here, we go right back into the hell of battle, and we don't know how to stand victoriously. I remember John Kilpatrick talking about the days of Pensacola. You know, in five years of the outpouring that the whole world got the view before even the internet was really pushing as strong as it is today. And Brother Kilpatrick would say, I, I watch family come to the altar, pray together. He said, God touching them supernaturally only to get back home and get right back into the heat of battle again or fall apart. And he said, I realized there were some things that we had to deal with, even though there was a supernatural touch. 
You see, this isn't just, this just isn't about relationship. This is a kingdom issue. The kingdom has many aspects of blessing. Let me say this to you. It's vertical. Is that right? Vertical? Up and down? And it's horizontal. We're pretty good at this. But we don't know how to do this. The way the kingdom needs to be revealed. To have kingdom home. To have kingdom families. To have kingdom life. I was listening to Lance Walno just for a minute. I was in my car. He just happened to be on it. I, I was listening to him and he was talking years ago when he was in the business world. And I mean, he was, a, you, know, you know, an upper Escalon guy. I think he said he was making like a thousand bucks a day and what he was doing, bringing, uh, you know, guidance and stuff like that into the business world. And, and he said he had this passion and this desire to want to be full-time ministry. He'd go to work and be so, he said he'd just be so beat down and his heart feels so empty and all these things. And he kept begging God, God put me in full-time ministry. And finally, one day, the Lord spoke to him and said, hey, you're missing the picture. I put you in this. What you're feeling is the atmosphere around you. But I've called you there to make a difference and make a change in it. And if we're not careful, we'll miss the positioning of God because we're so vertical. Okay, let's get into the message for y'all hurt me. 1 John chapter 4, I'm going to read some verses for you. So just hang with me, starting at verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And he who does not love does not know God, for God is, can we say this together, is love. Wow, that's pretty tough. In this, the love of God was manifested towards us, that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved him, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the satisfying sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him. Y'all thought it was because you just felt his ooey-gooey's all the time. But he said, by this, we know that we abide in him. And he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And if we have known and believed the love that God has for us, God, let's say that together again. God is love and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this 
that we may be, have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. Therefore, there is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment. But he who fears, he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. Now we're going to be talking this morning about the love of God. One of the things that I have come to realize, and I believe this, one of the great weaknesses of most people, even believers and non-believers alike, to live victorious, to live in how they were designed to live, to live with purpose and, and to live with all the blessings. I, I believe there's two things that are needed, but most of these are lacking. The first one is this. Most really don't know who they really are. We lack identity. And yet it's one of the greatest things that we have need of. It's proven into the world right now. For the generation, let's say around the age of 20 to 25, maybe to 30, one of the greatest needs among this generation, they are looking for identity. That's why all the transition is going on in the world and they're feeling different and they're feeling like this because they don't know who they are. And I believe the reason we don't know who we really are is this. We truly don't understand the true love of God. I'm not talking about this love. It's, it's interesting how we talk. Uh, I'll go home and tell my wife I love her. And then I can, I don't have a dog. But then I could look at the dog and say, oh, I love you. I see videos of these people with their dogs in their face licking all over, sticking. I go, what is up with this? For you dog families, dog lovers, don't be offended at me. But we'll say little silly stuff like, I love you, Peppy. I love you, Joy. Wait a minute. I thought you just told your wife you loved her. And then you're giving the same love to the dog? And then we got this Christian stuff that we do. I love you, brother. I love you, sister. Really? Because if we understood what we're really saying, I think maybe we would find that our relationships and our actions would be totally different. You see, in our English language or maybe our Western culture, we throw everything that the Bible says into one or two words. And, and first of all, I'll just talk about love. We'll just use it. What well, just means love. But if you go back to some of the original into the Greek, there are four different kinds of love mentioned in the, under the Greek language for the one word that we use as love. I, I'm not going to touch all of them today. Possibly over the next couple of weeks, I might if the Lord leads me that way. But let me give you some. First of all, there's the love that's called phileo. That's a brotherly type love. That's a friendship kind of love. You know, we go out and hang out. We, we do stuff together. And sometimes it's based upon that thing that we say, what do we relate to? 
You know, we relate. Some of us go and have coffee together because we can relate to a pot of coffee. Or some of us go and bowl together because we relate around bowling or fishing. It could be sewing, knitting like Miss Mindy does around here. Could be numbers of things. And also that can stop in just a moment. And then there's this word that we call love. It's called eros. It's from the root that we get erotica. It's very sensual. It deals with our flesh. Our passions, our desires of of sexuality and such as that. Our world has got it confused because this is what they'll say. Let's make love. And the reality is you don't make love. It may not have anything to do with love. After all the years of pastoring I've done and and all the weddings that I've done for people, I I really truly believe this. Most of us start out in eros. And we grow possibly into the others. But we are more in lust than we are in love. Because if you come up in church like I do, it's better to marry than burn. I don't like you, but I want sex, so I'll marry you. And it's called love. I'm trying to make a point, not trying to be funny, but see if you and I don't know what what we're dealing with, we really don't understand God because many of you have been wounded, disappointed, hurt, rejected, everything at this thing that people call love. And you take that towards God. Well, if they're like that, that must be how God is. Here's the the third one. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but it's called storge. I I think it's how it's pronounced. It's S-T-O-R-G-E. This is love in the family unit. You can't help who you were born, the family you were born into. You didn't get to choose mom and dad. You didn't get to choose your brothers and sisters. I had five brothers. They're all ugly. I don't know why God gave them in my family. (laughs) This is kind of a protective love. And you need to understand that because sometimes I'm trying to operate in, I feel like I'm I'm an eros, but I really need to be in in, in the uh, you know, the brotherly love, or I need to be in family, which is protective. But this morning, I want to talk for just a few moments, and I'm going to pray for you, and I pray, and I believe God's going to heal some people today. If you will hear and receive what the Lord is saying, the highest form of love, the Word said God is love, and it's called agape. A highest form of love. Now we need to understand it. Now when the word said God is love, that's not one of God's attributes. It's not an action or it's not a work that he drums up to say he's love. But this is who God is. He's love. So when you and I are operating in it properly, living it out the way he intended, then the whole world gets to view Jesus. 
Because it reveals the Father. It reveals him completely. Let me give you a couple definitions that go along with agape and what it could possibly, or what I believe it really means. It's caring for someone without expectation. Caring for someone without expectation. Far different than friends, because here's what friends would do. Hey, as long as you go along with me, we'll be friends. As you long as you like what I like, we'll be friends. As long as you'll have sex with me, we'll be in love. That's eros. But agape says it's caring for somebody without expectation. That's hard to imagine that God could create us that way and be that way towards us. I hear my brother singing. My oldest brother who's with the Lord. Man, oh, sorry. I hear him sing the song. I've heard him sing many times in church. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. I can hear that song ringing so strong throughout the place. But think about this. If you can imagine on your greatest day of the person you love, that child, that mama, that child that you have, how much you love them. I got news for you. God loves you far more than even that. Now, it's important that you understand there's no expectation. He just loves you. Well, pastor, I thought I was created for his glory. I thought I was created for his purpose. Yeah. Yeah. But if you don't fulfill it, he still loves you. <laughs> if you don't make everything that he wanted to, he still loves you. Okay, y'all. Let me give you the next one. It's a decision to meet the needs of others unconditionally. It is the decision to meet the needs of others unconditionally. See why I said most of us are in eros or we're in lust or, or maybe we're at, at, the, at the friendship kind of love when we get married is how many of us go into it to really meet the need of the other person? I mean, really meet that need, fulfill that need. But it's a decision you have to make. And it doesn't mean when he gives everything back to you or she gives everything back to you. No, it just means I'm in this to meet your need. Now let's prove something. Let's walk through the Bible real quickly and prove it. Here we go. You ready? John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Well, pastors, there's expectation in it. No, it just said God so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever believes in him would not perish. You know, I've tried to tell my kids over the years growing up, I love you like this. It doesn't matter what you do. I'll never stop loving you. Now, that doesn't mean I agree with it. That doesn't mean I go along with their foolishness, but I'll never, ever stop loving them. 
Because if they go astray and they know my love, they'll never get away from it. When you and I can understand how much God truly loves you, that he was willing to give it all. For what purpose? To meet your need. Because we were hopeless, we were helpless, we were in sin, and we were, we were bound to live forever separated from God. And there was no other answer. And God said, I'll take care of it. Whether you believe in him or not, it doesn't stop his love for you. That's important for us to understand about everybody out there. There's people we don't like. I got them. Come on, let's get real for a moment. I got people that I don't like, but I want to tell you there's a God in heaven that likes them. I don't care if they're pedophiles, transvestites, weirdos, whatever you want to put a tag on them. I was watching something the other day. I thought, how sad, this young man, a couple of young men across the ocean, one in Australia, one I believe it is in, in England. They're so messed up in their identity. One of them thinks he's an alien. The other one thinks he's a lizard. And they've gone to the part to where they have literally tattooed their entire body. They've modified themselves with horns, cutting off their ears, cutting out their nostrils, dyeing their eyeballs. I mean, it's gone so far, I'd hate to meet the guy on on the road because it would freak me out. He didn't know who he is trying to search for an identity, but I may not like it. I may run from him, but I'm telling you there's a God in heaven that knows who he really is and loves him. And I believe once in a while, God will whisper through somebody, Hey, Johnny, I know who you are under that tattoo. Hey, Susie, I know who you are under all those things that you're doing. Because he loves us. Jesus, we sang the song, Give Me Jesus. They had no clue what I was preaching this morning other than I give them a, something to put up back there. Jesus is the personification of the Father. The greatest expression of the Father is the Son. And Jesus said, if you would know me, you would have known my Father. When you see me, you really see my Father. So the only thing that Jesus could do was to be like his Papa. And that's why he said in John 10, he said, I am the good shepherd, and I give my life for the sheep. And then he said a couple of verses later, he said, no man takes my life. I lay it down freely. Now, I don't know if there's anybody in here to take a bullet for one another. Maybe except real very, very close family. Oh, I know I got guys packing in here, so don't anybody try it. And we'd have guys stand up and draw just to protect the rest of the house. But to really lay down your life completely so that person there could have life and have it abundantly would be a very far stretch. But Jesus said, I, I can just picture Jesus at the cross. I mean, it was horrible. I couldn't even imagine. You know, he could, have brought, he could have brought a lot of accusation about those that were accusing him, but the word said 
He didn't speak a word. Well, if you say so. If you think that's what I did. And he makes his way to the cross. I mean, who would go through one of the most horrific nights that Jesus would go through from being spat upon, being beat on, till they pulled his beard from his face. They have stripped him. They've shamed him. They've done everything he could. And at any moment, he could have called heaven, angels, get me out of here. But he chose, just stay back. I got this. And then to go to the cross, you and I see him through the movies carrying that cross on his shoulders, stumbling under the weakness, and no doubt because he was human, he was flesh as we are. But I don't think they had to grab him. I believe in my mind, in my imagination, it was like this. I believe, hey, move back, guys. Let's just give me a moment. Let me lay down. I don't think they had to stretch his arm out and drag it and hold on to it with 15 guys because he's fighting away from it. But I believe he offered it freely. I mean, who would have done that for us other than Jesus? The Bible said he laid himself down freely. And it's not because of anything, any good that I have done. Because the Bible said that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I don't think, Pastor, this was in the boardroom of heaven. I'll go if I get 50% of the people to follow me. I don't think there was a bargaining mat in, in, the, in the boardroom of heaven. Father, I'll gladly do this if I can get 20% of the people that will say, yes, I, I'll do it. If there's none, Father, first of all, because of his love for the Father. If there's none. If there's none. If Adam doesn't want it, if Emily doesn't want it, if Ben doesn't want it, He said, because I love you, Father, I'll be obedient. And I'll give my all to a people before any of us was ever formed. Well, he's all-knowing. He knew we would do that. Well, God made us, he made us a people of free will and a free choice. Yes, I believe we've all been predestined to be the sons of God. That's the plan of God. But you and I, God gave you a choice. You can embrace it or you can walk away from it. But God so loved us. His agape that wasn't expecting anything. I love them enough that I'm going to do this for them. In Ephesians chapter 1, we're going through our life groups. We're doing the book of Ephesians. And this is one of the reasons because I believe it's so important that we know who we really are. That we are blessed. That's not just something to say. I'm blessed because of the love of my Father. And not only that, Paul stops, I think it is in the third chapter, and he said, I'm praying for you guys to really understand how much God really loves you. And that not only will you know that, but you will embrace his love so that you can live out his life. Let's go to the Old Testament. For just a moment, I'm going to read to you out of the Passion Translation, part of Psalms 103. This is before Christ ever died, before he ever came. I love the words of the psalmist, one of my favorite psalms. They all are. He said this, bless the Lord, oh my soul, 
and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Then he turns around and he says it again. And then he says, don't forget all the benefits of God who forgives me of all my iniquity, who heals me, please hear me, who heals me of all my diseases, who crowns me with loving kindness and tender mercies and fills our mouth with good things. But you need to understand something. God didn't love you because you and I failed and we're on the way to hell. He loved us just simply because of who we are. And in Psalms 103, starting at the sixth verse, and I want to read it to you from the Passion Translation. It says, you're a God who makes things right. David speaking, who makes things right, giving justice to the defenseless. You unveiled your plans to Moses and you showed Israel's sons what to do. He was talking about redemption's plan. Lord, you're a kind and tender-hearted and so patient with people who fail you. Your love is like a flooding river overflowing its banks with kindness. You don't look on at us to find our faults just so you can hold a grudge against us. You may discipline us for many sins, but never as much as we really deserve, nor do you get even with us. For what we have done. Wow. Listen to that. I think the King James would say it some like, something like this. You've not dealt with me after my iniquity or my sins. Nor rewarded me because of my iniquity. But you've dealt with me out of your love. And that word love in the Old Testament would be hesed. His great, great mercy. You ever hear somebody said this? You know, especially somebody maybe you've gotten an argument with or maybe you were being a little bit critical or judgmental and you were saying like this. You see it in movies all the time, especially among the younger, the younger generation. They'll get up in your face. You don't know me. I was watching Rocky Balboa the other day. Yeah, I'm not as holy as y'all been, y'all been fasting TV. I've been right in the middle of it. I was watching Balboa, you know, he's past the age, he's got, a, he's got a restaurant, so he's out, his wife had died, and it's the anniversary, and he's been out, and he goes back to one of the, I guess one of the old bars, and when he walks in uh, to the bar, there's a couple uh, young adults sitting there, and he walks over and sits down, and one of the young girls comes over, they're wanting Rocky to buy them a drink, and he just kind of, uh, you know, just, just go back over there, I just come in to be alone, and, and she said, she she, she kind of ruffles up and said, you know, what are you doing? Who, uh, he said, you know, something to her. Then she screamed, you don't know me. You don't know me. See, what she was feeling was judgment. She was feeling like she wasn't been, being properly identified. I've come to realize that most of us can live that way. You know, if you're up here, an individual that's, you feel like you're constantly criticizing, or people say you're judgmental, or you're always feeling condemned and insecure, I want to offer something to you. That's probably not the other person. But it's probably you. 
because you don't really know who you are nor understand how much God loves you. And what you're wanting is what you're seeing in somebody else. And when you don't get that, you strike at it. Hello? I've learned this. When people's on a bandwagon and you keep hearing that soapbox constantly, a lot of times it's not the issue that's going on around them. It's what they're fighting with many times within them to have victory over. Y'all really got quiet on that one. Had a few amenners until that one came along. But Isaiah said, he was wounded for my transgression. He was bruised for my iniquity. The chastisement of my peace is upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. Remember the agape of God. It's caring for somebody without expectation. It's a decision to meet other needs unconditionally. So as the worship team makes their way back, In the book of Matthew chapter 11, I could give you so much more, but I felt like the Lord said, just keep it condensed. He said in the book of Matthew chapter 11, Jesus is on the scene. John the Baptist has been preaching, but John is in prison. I think he's imprisoned by Herod. And the scripture would declare to us, that they've heard that Jesus is ministering among the people. And from prison, John, the one that said, Behold the Lamb that taketh away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb, that John, that baptized him. That John that saw the heavens open and the dove descend. That John that heard the voice of heaven say, This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. That John is asking one of the craziest questions. Yeah, we hear that blind eyes are opening. We hear that lepers are being restored. And John sends two disciples and he said, Go ask this person. Is this really you? Or do I need to look for another one to come? I don't know about, that just kind of messes with me. Within just days, John has already lost sight when he was walking in Revelation. Now listen to how Jesus responds. He said, go back and tell John, the blind see, the lame are walking, the deaf hear, dead men are getting up. He said, go tell John, I'm him. He doesn't have to look any further. And then Jesus just has a discourse about John with his disciples. And then he makes this statement in John chapter 11, verse 28. He says, come unto me, all ye who are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. See, he's acknowledging the things that were in the world. 
He's acknowledging the hopelessness of a generation. He's acknowledging the weariness of a people that religion, they couldn't live up to it. Religion had such an expectation that every time they failed, I know growing up, thank God we had revival about every three months because we'd have to get saved all over again. Many of you were like that. Every time you failed, you had to be born again. Never could live up because the rules of religion just wouldn't let me. Some of you have fought it. That's why it's hard and difficult for people to come to church. Because they feel the condemnation. They feel the judgment of religion that tells them, I can't live this. I don't know about you. Well, I'm going to get myself in trouble. There's a few times I have struggles in my own flesh. I know y'all never do, and something will tell me you're not worthy to stand on that pulpit. You're not worthy to be standing before these people. I'm just being real. And people don't come because even us, because we don't even understand the love of the Father, because I struggle with it, I think everybody ought to. So it's hard for us to bring people in and really embrace them into the family until they start looking and acting and talking just like us. And if they come in differently and don't change, they must have demons. So let's have us a deliverance service and let them let us get them straightened out right. And a lot of times it's not a demon. A lot of times they're fighting religion and they're fighting us because we don't know how to express the love of a father. Some of you have been hurt at the hands of love. You entered into a covenant with a man or a woman that told you they loved you to only find your eye dark or your nose broke or to find you put out or or, or to find that your heart was broken because they became unfaithful and it was all done under the sign of love. Now I'm afraid. I'm afraid to trust anybody because I, I, I don't understand. I, I thought they could, there's nobody could love me this way. Nobody. This is what's happened to my heart. And the reality is some of us live whole lifetimes living with other people, trying to be completely whole and satisfied. Jesus said, come, come to me. All of you that feel hopeless and helpless. All of you that are laboring. That word labor there means to be strengthless. It means to be troubled. It means to be pained. I'm wore out trying to get free. You who are helpless. You're overloaded with the cares of this life. He said, come unto me. I'll give you rest. He's not talking about laying down and taking a nap. He's not talking about a siesta for a few moments. He's talking about, I'll make you whole. Nothing missing, nothing broken. I'll make you whole. He said, come. And then he gives us a picture of analogy of of an animal in that day, a camel, a donkey. That would be a burden bearer. And even though they were strong, 
even though they were massive and powerful, most of the time, even their owners would not overload them to where they couldn't move. And Jesus comes and he said, come, take my yoke, because he said, you've been carrying a yoke. And a yoke is something that goes about your neck, the animal that he could be turned by its owner. And some of us got a yoke about our neck this morning that we're being turned by everything under the sun. We're being turned by the cares of this world. And Jesus said, I didn't mean that for you. You're laboring. You're struggling. That's not what I intended for you. He said, come, come. Take my yoke. Take my yoke. Got to picture this. Come on, I'll help you. I'll help you. My wife, if y'all seen her limping, she fell the other day, messed up her ankle a bit. I had to help her. She had to lean her weight upon me. And that's what Jesus is saying. Come, let me walk out life with you. Let me help carry this that you can't carry. You're going to find that I'm gentle. I'm tender at heart. And you're going to find rest going to find that place of rest for your soul. I heard a brother the other day said, Pastor, you don't, you, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I'm carrying. I heard a pastor say the other day, I wrote it down in my journal. I got sayings that I'll write down that really stand out to me. He said, there's three things I know. He said, I know I God doesn't owe me an explanation for everything I walk through. He doesn't owe me an explanation. He's God. Second thing is, he said, unless I'm willing to trust him in the times when I don't, I'll really never get better. And the third thing is, he said, the more I walk with Jesus, the better I know him and the better I see him and the better he is the more that I'm walking with him. I'm closing down with this. I got to learn to do this better. Go ahead and stand with me, would you? So many times we feel like because of things in our own heart and life and our failures and defeats that God just doesn't love us. I want you to think about something. Last, Last picture I'll give you. When Adam sinned against the Lord, most of us have this idea that God's judgment was on Adam. I want to tell you what judged Adam. Before Adam was ever created, I believe God had already set a boundary. It said he can have everything, but he doesn't touch that tree. For the moment he touches it and eats of it, he'll die. So my question being is, the tree flourished. The tree was fruitful. And the tree looked good. So who judged Adam? Was it God? Or was it Adam himself, his sin? Because if it had been God, every time we would blow it, we would blame God. You're judging me. But I believe it was Adam's sin that judged him. And Adam ran and hid among the trees. 
But here's the great part. God came looking for Adam. That afternoon, just like he had did every day before, to have fellowship with Adam in the garden, to only get to the place that they normally meet. Adam, where are you? Was it God that ran him out? It was Adam that ran out. His sin repositioned him, but God came to restore him. Even in his sinfulness, he made a vow that the seed of the woman is going to crush the enemy's head that so deceived you. I tell you this morning, there's a God in heaven that loves you more than what you can imagine. And this is what he says. He said, come to me. Let me take that load that you're carrying. I want every head bowed and every eye closed. I believe there's freedom in this place and healing. I believe there's restoration for everyone that will just give themselves to Jesus. If you're in this place this morning, say, Pastor, you're really talking to me today. I need my heart healed. I don't know who I am. I'm struggling with identifying Jesus and the love of God. You're the one I'm talking to this morning. I believe the Lord wants to touch you right now in a way you've never been touched. If that's you this morning, I'm not trying to embarrass anybody. I just want to see Jesus give you rest. That's where you are. Pastor, I need to know him and to know his love. I need my heart healed. I need my life restored. I'm carrying way too much. I want you to step from where you are. And I want you to make your way to this altar with me. We want to pray with you this morning. We want to minister to you this morning. The love of Jesus.